0: Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Tuesday. Michaela couldn't sleep. Her bed didn't feel right, even though it was the same mattress from her old room in Columbus. She just tossed and turned and bunched up her pillows underneath her, kicked the sheets off, got cold, pulled them back on. Startled at every unfamiliar creak and groaned, and every time she looked at the shadows in the corner, she couldn't quite figure out what was making them. Mostly, she was royally pissed off. 7th grade was terrifying enough, but getting yanked out of Rosenberg Middle only a few weeks into the school year, then dragged across 6 states to start all over somewhere else? Oh, yeah, so I forgot to tell y'all, I looked, because I didn't know any place called Jackson Hole. Um, in Ohio. I mean, I don't know a lot about Ohio except for the fact that it's fucking horrible, but I didn't know about a Jackson Hole in Ohio. Um, So I went and Googled it uh, as I should, and it turns out the Jackson Hole is in an even worse place, Wyoming. Now, I say that without ever being to Wyoming, but I seriously feel like if I ever went to Wyoming, I'd be a target. So that's why I've never been to Wyoming. I feel like Wyoming is probably a beautiful place to not even a drive-through. Flyover, yeah, it's probably a beautiful place to fly over, and um, it's in the same ranges like North and South Dakota, as places that, in Montana, and Idaho, and Ohio, and West Virginia. That really give off a vibe is not safe for blacks. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like. I feel like Wyoming has a border patrol. <laughs> and they don't even they don't even need one. They just have it. Like just to be safe. Like everybody else has one, like Arizona has one. Why can't they have one? So they just have like a border patrol. Also, in one of those states that I just mentioned is Mount Rushmore. So, if I want to go see like the folks who enslaved my family, I have to go into one of the whitest states in the United States, which makes sense. Because I'm certain that shit would not ride in California. Like, they would have rioted by now or or protested or something about having the founding slave fathers on a rock in California. Sounds like some Georgia shit. Anyhow, six states over is Wyoming. Wyoming. Practically kidnapping. She Googled CPS to see if they could do anything, but ultimately never called. Too worried they laugh at her. Oh, your parents want to move? We got kids with real problems, dummy. The prospect of starting a new school scared her. At least at Rosenberg, she had her best friend, Gracia. Two days before standing in Gracia's driveway, they promised to keep in touch. They You never keep in touch. Never. I have yet to see a person in movies, in books, or in real life who, when they move away from a city, they tell their best friend, we're going to keep in touch, and they actually do it for more than two weeks. I'll come back for you. You know, that was from one of the best movies that nobody ever liked. Ashton Kutcher, for everything that he's done that's great, like, like, you know, to stop trafficking of girls and everything, which is fucking wonderful. He also made a really great movie. Like, the butterfly effect is so fucking underrated. It is so underrated. And the original ending, where that motherfucker hung himself in utero, oh shit. I was like, oh shit. I was. They promised to keep in touch, to be best friends forever. They even created a super complicated plan for how they could go to junior prom, still four years away. Then, on the way home, Damien had wrapped his hand in hers and leaned his head on her shoulder. Mom was busy singing along to a Taylor Swift song on the radio. And she realized her whole life in Columbus was dead. Deader than her fifth grade class hamster, Michaela. Wait, so they named the hamster after Michaela? Was that campaigning or was that just the way it worked out? My brother's friend has a dog that he literally named the same name as my daughter. Three years after my daughter was born and this guy knows my daughter, so I was insulted. I didn't really know how to take it. She had cried for days when the class voted to give the hamster the same name as her, and her stupid teacher, Miss Freeling, called it a good lesson in democracy, whatever that meant. She had spent untold hours staring into the mirror, wondering if her upturned nose and disturbingly small chin were actually roten-like, or if the kids were being cruel for unknown, childish reasons. Maybe a little of both. Once the other Michaela died, thanks to her garlic clothes stealthily dropped into her cage, the other kids seemed to forget the episode completely and became her friends again. Except for Daryl, who wore a black armband every day for the rest of the year and broke into uncontrollable weeping every time Miss Freeling called on the real Michaela. But he was weird. Nobody liked him anyway. This sucks, Michaela hissed. It's not so bad, Damien said softly from the doorway. Michaela stifled a yelp and lunged. Grabbing her little brother and tickling him. He hated that. Damien squirmed, writhing in her grasp. Stop Michaela let him go. He wiped his ear with the hem of his shirt, shooting her filthy looks. Brought it on yourself, Michaela said. Damien huffed, sat down in her desk chair. How do you feel about all this anyway? The move? Mm-hmm. A question neither mother or father had bothered to ask. She bit her lip. Sucks. Damien nodded quickly. No one asked you, right? What do you want, Damien? Damien stood up, stretching his thin bones. Just checking up on my big sister. I'm not an idiot. Fair enough. You heard Sabrina earlier. I'm thinking we can use this. How? She's already got herself all twisted around. I've been playing with her for years, but now we can do something, something big. Michaela worried at the comforter. I don't think, with all due respect, dear sister, Damien said, Cheshire grinned, stretching his face. That is my department. So it began. Damien and Michaela left for the bus stop, and Sabrina's pulse immediately ratcheted up several notches. Usually it was a relief. She could resort to being Sabrina rather than Mom. Not now. Part of her wanted to run to the bus stop, dragged them both back home. For years she craved alone time, now she still wasn't alone. She wished she could go back to those busy, buzzy moments before her trip to the basement, before all the promise the beautiful new house contained had been tainted with horror. But she couldn't. Sabrina put the chair back against the basement door, just in case, then went into the kitchen and made herself some tea. She preferred coffee, but needed something to calm her nerves, not rattle them. Even so. The screaming of the teapot nearly made her jump through the window. After, she sat at the kitchen table, sipping a stale and unsatisfying packet of caramel, hyper-vigilant. She sorely needed sleep, had precious little the night before, waking every time she drifted off. Late, very late, she had finally fallen asleep, only to suffer from the most horrible dreams. She couldn't remember a single one, only the way they made her feel. Awful. Hal, for his part, had been supportive, if skeptical, offered to let her drive him to work so she could keep the car, but she declined. What was the point? If they were going to continue living in the house on James Circle, and unless Hal got an even better job offer somewhere else, they wouldn't be moving anytime soon. She had to make her peace with it. She couldn't walk around jumping as shadows in her own house. She'd go crazy, become one of those women who drowned her own children in the bathtub or drove her car into the lake once her car arrived, whenever that might be. Sabrina reached for her mug, tea spilling over the rim. Were her hands really shaking that badly? She sipped, too hot, put it back down, drummed her fingers lightly on the edge of the saucer. She really needed to compose a to-do list. There was a never-ending number of things she needed to do, but she couldn't concentrate. She kept looking from one doorway to another, cocking her head to listen for sounds she only thought she heard. Maybe she turned on the TV, that would help. A little ambient sound to disguise any noises the house made, natural or otherwise. She went into the living room, flipped on the TV, static roared through a speaker, nothing but snow on the screen. She had forgotten neither cable nor internet were hooked up yet. When was the cable guy coming? She couldn't remember. She went into the kitchen, grabbed the magnetic whiteboard off the fridge, and sat down to compose that deferred to-do list. Their communal laundry basket in the upstairs closet was already overflowing. After two days. But no. She had more stuff to put away and organize. Pictures to hang. Furniture placement decisions she wanted to revisit. Or she could take a bath. play some relaxing music on her phone. Light a few candles. Slip into a warm, bubbly broth and lose herself for a few moments. She could already feel her heartbeat slowing back to something resembling its resting rate. Leaving her tea mostly untouched. Sabrina headed upstairs. The chair was still jammed under the basement doorknob, right where she left it, and that made her feel better. Perhaps she'd imagined things, or maybe only the basement was haunted. She could live with that, right? Make Hal do the laundry. He wasn't some clueless detergent commercial husband who'd drink bleach before he ever used it on his whites. Hell, he wouldn't even mind. He often tried the little things around the house. She chased him off. Downright territorial with the Swiffer. As she passed the basement door, the knob jiggled. Sabrina froze, one foot raised. Oh no. She stared at the knob, but it didn't move again. It had moved though. Hadn't it? If she could imagine a large man toting her boxes down the basement steps, she could certainly imagine a doorknob twisting on its own accord, couldn't she? Or. Carefully, Sabrina took a single step back. The doorknob jiggled again. Step forward, nothing. Step back, jiggle. She giggled like she was back in college at a frat party, tipsy on wine coolers. Giggled and then laughed, stomping on the board in question, making the doorknob jiggle over and over again. It's an old house, what do you expect? Sabrina wiped tears from her eyes, shaking her head at her own silliness. Not that this explained everything. No amount of creaky boards could manifest a large, box-moving, disappearing man. But this one thing, this single rational explanation, lifted the weight off her shoulders. The laughter, the release, was exactly what she needed. She felt at home in her new house in a way she had not since they moved in. She left the chair in its place, though. Until she figured out what was going on with the basement, or a sufficient amount of time had passed for her to discount the memory entirely... She wasn't quite ready to leave the door unsecured. Still. Sabrina headed upstairs, maybe not bounding per se, but definitely with a newfound spring in her step, head nearly spinning with thoughts of a hot, bubbly bath and all the delicious decadence it promised. She pushed up on the bedroom door, registering the light on in the bathroom. How must have left it on, she thought. He had been the last one in the bathroom. Right? The second she stepped into the bathroom, she knew that wasn't true. Hal hadn't been the last person in the master suite at all. If he had, the bathwater in the tub would have gone cold a long time ago. I'm gonna say it again for the people in the back. Get the fuck out. Jesus, how many hints do you need? Damien wasn't looking forward to junior high. Grad school seemed much more his speed. But the one thing that seemed to recommend recommended over elementary was the ease with which middle schoolers could skip class. Or so he imagined. It had to be at least a little easier, though. Changing classrooms five times a day gave one the opportunity to disappear, whereas sitting in Mr. Tuthill's sixth grade class did not. Tuthill himself was giving a staggering ahistorical lesson on the Battle of Thermopylae. Grounded more in Zack Snyder's highly stylized 300 than any historical record. Damien snapped three pencils fighting the earth to correct him. Xerxes had millions of troops, giant elephants, actual monsters, Tuthill said, drawing some sort of lobster-human hybrid on the board. But I'll let you in on a little secret, kids, Tuthill turned from the board, chalk in hand, an erection obscenely pushing out the 27 children in his class. It's not the size of the army. It's all about the warrior mentality. See, when I was in the National Guard, Damien's hand shot up, almost of its own free will. Mr. Tuthill? Tuthill blinked. Yes, uh, new kid. May I use the bathroom? Don't you want to know who won? Damien smiled diplomatically. It's sort of urgent. All right, spoiler alert. The Persians defeated Leonidas' army, but only because this blasted gimp Damien cringed at the cruel and offensive description of Ephialatis, who might have been a traitor, but didn't deserve such an ablest effort that, I like this guy a lot. Tudhill continued bellowing, babbling, working up a sweat before eventually wearing himself out, his lank brown hair plastered to his forehead, pit stains spreading beneath the short sleeve button-up. He finally grabbed the hall pass from his desk and handed it to Damien. Give him hell, son! Damien resisted the urge to salute him, instead said a quick thank you and headed for the bathroom. Unlike his old school in Columbus, Hooper actually put doors on the stalls. Damien appreciated the smidgen of dignity the gesture conveyed. Previously, he'd have to carefully schedule his bowel movements, or in a pinch fake an illness so he could use the bathroom in the nurse's office so as not to make poo-poo so exposed. Here, he could actually get a little time to himself. Nature wasn't even calling at the moment. No, he was driven by a far more pressing urge to get away from the desertly Mr. Tuthill before he did something that would truly confirm Sabrina's suspicions via his supposed demonic, sociopathic aspect. But also, he wanted to check in with Michaela, make sure they were still on for after school. Damien sent her a quick text How's your day going? He thought about sitting down, but he didn't want to sully his trousers on the Shirley cootie-infested seat. His phone pinged. Damien smiled. He had gotten lucky. Maybe she had gotten sick of her idiot teachers and taken a powder as well, and opened the message. Shouldn't you be in school? Same unknown phone number. Same overly familiar tone. Damien scowled at the phone. Whoever this was, they weren't funny. Ignoring the urge to send a rejoinder. Undoubtedly far more incisive than anything a mystery texter could imagine, Damien simply blocked the number. He admired the graffiti on the inside of the bathroom door. Some very uncharitable but likely true things were said about Mr. Tuthill, with panache, and waited for Michaela to reply. Could be a moment. She'd likely have to sneak out of class herself. His phone beeped. Another text from the mystery number he had just blocked. You're not getting rid of me that easy. Sabrina woke up face down on the bathroom floor. She blinked, the tile cold against her cheek. She put herself up into a seated position, trying to figure out how she had gotten there, or how she had ended up on the floor of all places. None of it made sense. She looked around, hoping for some clue to explain her predicament. Nothing other than a fogged up window. A wave of exhaustion roiled over her. Sabrina felt faint, so she leaned against The bathtub. The bathtub. Everything came rushing back. Her unwanted morning tea, the curious step that made the basement doorknob jiggle, her luxurious decision to defer household chores in favor of a long, relaxing bath. She'd come upstairs, intending to draw herself a bath, only to find the tub already filled, and recently too. It wasn't merely some silently useless romantic gesture on Hal's part for her to find after he had already headed off to work. No, the water had been hot to the touch. Not warm, luke, or otherwise. Piping hot. Now she peered into the tub, hoping to confirm her suspicions or not, as the case might be. The tub was empty, but a rinse of bubbles around the drain marked this as a new development. She hadn't imagined a thing. Someone had filled a tub for her. The house drew me a bath. Had. The thought popped into Sabrina's mind unbidden, but it seemed right. Not to mention the only possibility, unless someone had broken in. Now that seemed to make even more sense. The same man who carried the box down to the basement, how closely has she inspected the crawlspace, anyway? Maybe he slipped into some hidey hole, some hidden passageway, wriggling off into the earth, living in an already secret alcove, an unofficial and unseen resident of the house. Maybe he was watching her right now. Sabrina gasped, looked around for a weapon. The bathroom offered nothing obvious because it was a bathroom, not an armory. A man that big would simply laugh if she tried to brand him with a shampoo bottle or a bar of soap. Wait. The towel rack. Something creaked out beyond the bedroom door. A long, slow noise like someone, perhaps a very large man, leaning forward to peek around the doorframe. Sabrina slammed the bathroom door shut, flipping the lock. The door was too flimsy to stand against a concentrated attack from the basement dweller. But it might give her time to to do what exactly? Call 911. Sabrina's heart dropped into her stomach as she reached for her pocket, hoping she hadn't forgotten her phone downstairs. Thank God. She pulled out her phone, thumb fumbling across the screen, somehow managed to dial. The call took an interminable amount of time to connect. But then, 911, what's your emergency? Sabrina nearly fainted a second time from sheer relief. The police officer, a heavy-set, bald man who looked like a shelled turtle but had a calm, attentive demeanor, scoured every inch of the house, from the front room to the basement, the children's rooms, the kitchen, the master bedroom, bathroom, and all, and found precisely nothing. Sabrina accompanied him downstairs, showed him the crawlspace. He thoroughly inspected it with his light, combing every inch for hidden apertures and finding nothing but a rat hole. Why didn't you call us the first time, ma'am? he asked, tapping the side of the rat hole with the splashlight. Sabrina looked down at her house slippers. I didn't think anyone would believe me. I understand, ma'am, he said quietly, and then suggested they go upstairs. After touring the rest of the house, they took a seat in the living room. Sabrina offered him one of Zephyr's sandwiches, but he declined. Watching my carbs, he said, patting his stomach. Now, a couple things. He drew a small, spiral-bound notebook from his pocket, but merely gestured with it. I change all the locks. Never know who's got a copy of the key when you buy a new place. Also, think about getting a security system. My brother's got a firm, the best in Jackson Hill. I can get you his card if you want. Jackson Hill, not Jackson Hole. Okay, I still mean everything I said about Wyoming, but... The only Jackson Hill that I found when I googled was in North Carolina, which <sighs> Sabrina nodded. It couldn't hurt. Now, we checked the crawl space and even though things couldn't have gone down the way you told me, the mind does funny things in times of stress. Entirely possible you did have an intruder, and he went back up the stairs. Maybe? Sabrina could clearly picture the man climbing into the crawlspace. She didn't think she imagined it, but that explanation made a little more sense. Maybe she had gotten turned around somehow. You said he touched the box, the cop asked. That's right. The cop put the notebook back in his pocket. I can dust for fingerprints. Maybe something comes back. Maybe it doesn't. But I touched the box, Sabrina said. Maybe Hal, the kids, the movers? The cop shrugged. I'm not saying we'll find anything, but if this guy did break into your house, he might be in the system. Who knows? Okay. The cop went out to his cruiser, then back downstairs. He managed to smear fingerprint powder everywhere, but after a few minutes, he declared that he had found some usable prints. Probably be a week or two, but I'll let you know. Footsteps echoed across the ceiling. Heavy. The cop drew his gun, motioning for Sabrina to get behind him. He trained his weapon on the stairs. Sabrina disappeared into a corner, trying to make herself tiny, disappeared behind the washer, but secretly elated that someone else was about to see exactly what she had. The top step creaked. The cop sighted down his pistol, freehand reaching for his radio. You on the stairs! Don't move! Silence. Air pressurized like before a thunderstorm. Then, Sabrina? Hun? Sabrina looked up at the stairs. Hal stood at the top, briefcase in one hand, a bouquet of flowers in the other, and a very confused look on his, thankfully still intact, face. That ain't him, right? the cop said, already lowering his gun. Sabrina couldn't quite manage a sigh of relief. No. A block from the corner of Allen and Flanagan, Damien pulled the cord. Air brakes hissed. The bus rolled to a stop. Beside him, Michaela looked up from her phone. I still can't believe you talked me into this. It better be worth the bus fare. Damien flashed a special smile, the one reserved just for her. When have I ever steered you wrong? Michaela arched an eyebrow. Last Fourth of July. Other than that, the Columbus County Fair. Oh, please, cotton candy's essentially inedible anyway. She leaned in, lowering her voice. Disney World. Damien blinked. His sister did have a point. You getting off or what? The bus driver asked. Coming, Damien cried, springing from his seat. He practically dragged Michaela down the aisle, dodging the metal feet of elderly people's walker and the actual feet of equally elderly people who didn't yet need them. Almost kicking over a plastic grocery bag filled with oranges. No, they were the small ones. Uh, cuties. And finally down the steps. Thank you for your service, Damien called over his shoulder, but the accordion door had already slammed shut. No matter, they had arrived at their destination a slick, modern shopping center anchored by Ralph's Grocery, bookended by drugstores and nail salons, but most importantly, featuring Jackson Hill's soul. Forever 31, Michaela said, breathlessly, their seconds ago argument about Damien's plan and her money already forgotten the Halloween store, a seasonal pop-up chain that took over abandoned storefront to fill them with death, set directly beside Ralph's. A fifteen-foot-tall inflatable reaper beckoned, skies waving in the wind, while all manners of vampire, werewolf, and pumpkin-headed ex-murderers stalked the sidewalk. Let's go, Damien said. They crossed the parking lot, the reaper looming larger, the sound of the motor humming louder, a mesmeric drone that glazed their eyes and slacked their jaws. Even Damien, who normally scoffed at spooks and shadows, felt a tingle of excitement lance through his body. And not just because he planned to shoplift some Mallow cream pumpkins. The automatic doors whooshed open. They entered, mind's bedazzled body the arrays of blinking lights, the rows upon rows of decorations, costumes, and makeup. False scents filled the air aerosolized pumpkin spice, apple cinnamon, browning leaves. Melp you? Asked a tall woman wearing a zombified elk head and a name tag reading Shaney. What? The woman pulled her mask off, looking flushed and sweaty. Sorry, it's hard to breathe in that thing. Can I help you? Just browsing, Damien said quickly. Come on, sis. Michaela seemed entranced by a pair of talking gargoyles, so Damien yanked her sleeve. We really need to figure out our costumes this year. Not now. We're on a mission. She had a point, though. The Haskins siblings had a long-standing Halloween tradition of wearing matching outfits. Over the years, they had been Sid and Nancy, Ronald and Nancy, Jeff Galooly and Nancy. Damien enjoyed that latter one because he got to wear a sparkly figure skating outfit and everyone at school looked appropriately horrified when a ski mask and mustache yelled Michaela rushed out of the locker room and pretend smashed him in the knee with a telescoping baton. (laughs) The only problem was keeping their Halloween shenanigans, that word always made Damien giggle, secret from their parents, particularly Sabrina. Damien usually spent the earlier part of Halloween Eve standing silently in the corner or whispering creepy things to Sabrina like, they're here, before sneaking out to go trick-or-treating with his sister. What about Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, Michaela asked, pausing in front of a rack of truly terrifying political masks. Damien cringed. Can't I go with someone who isn't named Nancy this year? Why? Why? We're running out of Nancy's. They're not the most notable people. Michaela's eyebrows knitted together briefly. Then she smiled. We haven't done Nancy Grace and Casey Anthony. Will there be a blood-drenched baby doll involved? Duh. Damien stuck out his pinky. Deal. Michaela shook it. Now, let's not forget while we're here. They headed off down the aisles. Damien knew exactly what he needed to take his lifelong practical joke on his mother to the next level. The costume blood was a problem, none of it smelled enough like actual blood for his taste. But they really did make some astoundingly realistic prosthetics these days, and Damien figured he could cross the blood bridge when they got there. After all, practically everyone he knew was full of the stuff. They were standing in the checkout line, waiting for a beleaguered mother of triplets to buy three Spider-Man costumes when Michaela's phone rang. She ignored it. A minute later, Damian's went off too. Father, he said, holding up his phone so she could see it. Odd. how rarely called. Sabrina was the family's communications director. The triplet mom completed her triple Spidey purchase, and the clerk, Shaney from earlier, off the floor and no longer wearing her too-hot mask, motioned them forward. That's when the 911 text began. At dinner, Hal couldn't leave it alone. Sabrina kept her gaze leveled down at her plate, a hastily cobbled-together mismatch of zephyr sandwiches, plus baked potato, and didn't say much, pushing her food from one quadrant to the other. Hal wasn't mad per se, but he was making far more of the incident than he needed to, turning it into something between a near-death experience and a joke. At her expense, of course. I thought that cop was going to... Hal sighted down his butter knife, pretending to blow holes in the fridge. Bam! 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 Michaela giggled, then tense, putting a hand over her mouth and looking at Sabrina. Damien predictably said nothing. Hal tried to spin the butter knife like an old West gunfighter, but it went sailing end over end, bouncing off the cabinets. He offered the table a bemused grin, "'Wide up, I'm not, kids,' and got himself a new knife from the drawer. "'You weren't using the first one,' Sabrina thought, annoyed he was making more work for her, but didn't say anything. After all, she could just slip the knife back in the silverware she wanted. No one would notice.' "'So,' Hal said, laying his new butter knife on top of his plate. Your mom thinks the house is haunted. How? He winked at the kids, doing his worst father-knows-best impression. Hun, it's fine. We don't keep secrets in this house, do we? No, Michaela said, her face spasming so badly she looked like she might fall out of her chair. That's right, Hal said, nodding to himself. We're a team. Back when I led the Truffle Hogs to the state championship. Semifinals, Sabrina silently corrected. If I kept the playbook to myself, the wide receivers wouldn't know what routes to run, now would they? The reference was effectively lost on every single person in the room. Michaela played softball, Damien nothing at all, and sports never interested Sabrina much. Just a reason for men to get even drunker than they usually did and scream their feelings. They sure wouldn't, Daddy-O, Michaela said, nodding vigorously. She started doing this in the last year, this knowing, exaggerated faux-daddy-girl act. It pissed Sabrina off to no end. That's right, monkey, Hal said. This time, Michaela ignored the use of her most hated nickname, Good For You, further confirming she was in the middle of a performance, the purpose of which, Sabrina suspected, was simply to push and pull on the power dynamics of the Haskins household, sowing tween girl chaos for its own sake. Too bad boarding school wasn't a thing anymore. Or at least a thing within the squarely middle-class Haskins bubble, because Sabrina didn't relish the prospect of being trapped in the house with either of her soon-to-be pubescing spawn. Michaela playing these power games, and Damien might hack them all to bits with an axe when his little body grew from boy to near man. Anyway, Hal said, we're a team is the point. Team Haskins. So, what do you think, kids? Is the house haunted? Psh, as if, Michaela said, but without malice. Yes. Damien intoned, blankly. Aaron would turn to look at him. Damien speaking at dinner was a rare occasion, not unlike Haley's Comet passing by in the night. What makes you say that, buddy? Hal asked. Have you seen a good g-g-g-ghost? He scooby-dooed his voice, punctuating the sentence with a full-body shiver. Damien shook his head. One slow, deliberate, side-to-side swivel. Sabrina could almost hear the hinges in his neck squeak. Well, what then, bud? Why do you think the house is haunted? Sabrina leaned forward in her chair. As much as her youngest frightened her, perhaps if she was right about him, spawned from Satan's seed rather than house, he could tell her what was going on. Who the big, broly man was, why a bath had been drawn for her. Maybe, just maybe, he'd be on her side. Damien looked from his father to his sister to her, expression never changing. Peering deep into Sabrina's eyes. Damien said, library quiet, because they're hungry. Hal blinked, hungry? What's that mean, pal? Damien took half a sandwich from his plate. He walked over to the wall beside the refrigerator, blank and pale blue. He turned back to the family, all staring at him with rapt attention, especially Sabrina. It means, Damien said, they must be fed. He held out the half sandwich to the empty spot on the wall. One second, it was in his little, ten-year-old hand. The next second, it wasn't. Sabrina lay in bed, pretending to scroll Instagram, Hal next to her, in another baldocky book. She envied Hal's ability to read so quickly. He had a different book in his hand practically every time she saw him. Something hadn't agreed with Hal dinner-wise because he kept grunting and rubbing his stomach, a slight gurgle audible through the comforter. Dinner hadn't agreed with Sabrina either, even though her stomach felt fine. She kept replaying the scene in her head over and over again, Damien walking to that utterly unremarkable spot on the wall, holding out his half-sandwich, then poof, gone, gone. She screamed, rushed at her son, grabbed his little stick arm so hard her hands let wicked red marks on his forearms just below the elbow, shook him, demanding he tell her what he knew until Hal pulled her away. Jesus woman, like, we know you're a horrible mom, like, you obviously have treated this kid cruelly and unkindly his entire life, like, because of, so- you're stupid, first of all, let's get that out the way, You're stupid. And a really, really horrible person. But you do not put hands on your child. Like, you're awful. You're just an awful person. You you do realize you named the kid, right? Like, as soon as he came out, you christened him Damien. Like, oh my God. I'm, I know, this is all a, a comedy book, and I know this is written for jokes, but still... This kid has literally realized from the beginning that you treat him differently. That you treat him like trash. That's a horrible way for a 10-year-old to grow up. Sabrina, stop it, stop it, Hal repeated, but she wouldn't stop it, couldn't stop it. She had just seen a ghost eat a sandwich for Pete's sake. The supernatural was real and hungry and on more than nodding turns with her creepy little kid. Eventually, Hal muscled her into the living room and took the kids to bed. They didn't talk about what happened, and after, Sabrina wasn't sure how long. The minutes didn't so much blur together as slip by unnoticed. They went to bed, her trailing him up the stairs, neither touching each other. The dishes in the sink nagged at her, but they'd keep. They brushed their teeth into his and her sinks, changed, climbed into bed, a healthy couple inches between them. Hmm. Hal muttered, shifting from one side to the other. Sabrina exited out of Instagram. She couldn't bear to look at any more of the dumb fitness mommy accounts she followed. They always felt like some cheap, tawdry form of self-abuse. Logic Brain knew the washboard abs poking out of tiny Lycra shorts, the perfectly coiffed kids invariably named Scout or Topher or Hunter. The family photo ops their personal CrossFit gym in the backyard next to their infinity pool. All of it was a put-on, some carefully conjured alternate reality. A blink, a flash, a millisecond of perfection in a lifetime of dirty diapers, up-ended cereal bowls, crammed portraits all over the walls. How she would have loved to have a single moment as perfect as any of the dozens of photos the monstrous mommy models added to their feeds every day. Instead she was stuck with all the other moments. She shot a glance over at Hal, still nose and book, but a fraught expression on his face, and debated for the millionth time what to say. Even though he had seen exactly what she had, it didn't even seem to register. Everything she'd experienced had gone from a joke to a liability in his eyes. How much longer would he entertain her paranoid delusions? I mean, honestly, at least 10 years, he's seen you abusing your child. This whole time? Like, he can't be that daft, can he? You know what? They're not paranoid delusions. Were they? Enough. She had to know. She had to ask. How? He groaned slightly, fumbled for his bookmark, looked over at her, not even feigning interest. Yeah? You're okay, right? Just a little indigestion. Okay. That took all of four seconds. She swallowed, stealing herself. Tonight, before, before I... She was chewing her cheek in a hamburger. You saw that too, right? The sandwich? He set the book on the nightstand, took off his glasses, folding them carefully, placed them alongside the book, stared off into the distance for a long moment, evidently considering his words. Hun, i I'm not sure how to say this, so... I'll just come out with it. Do you hate our son? I love this book. I just want to say that right now because every single concern that I have, the author is well aware of it. Other books that I read, nope. Nope. He they're they're writing it and it's just a thing. They don't even Nobody else notices it. It's just in the ether. It's just out there floating around. He makes sure that every single concern that I've had, which I'm sure other folks have as well, is confronted and talked about in a timely manner. Like it is taken care of right there. The first one was her uh, saying that Damien was the devil and all that kind of stuff. Boom. Very next thing we find out, Damien knows that his mom is a piece of shit. And he's playing her like a sucker. And now this. Like, I was wondering, but I mean, you've held this in for 10 years, fam. So even if you're having this question now, you're still a pretty horrible person for not asking it earlier. Your child suffered while you sat there quietly and watched. The words hit her like a slap across the face. Of course they did. Like, Karens always get insulted by truth. Real talk. Like, how dare you ask me that? When I named our son Damien and I've treated him differently his whole life, how how would you? How dare you? The words hit her like a slap across the face. How could you say that? I'm not blind. I know how hard the pregnancy was for you. The postpartum. You've never really been the same since. How I... I emailed my boss earlier. Told him I'm working from home tomorrow. I also looked at some specialists. They got some really good therapists right here in Jackson Hill. I figure I'll make some calls and see if I can get you in to talk to somebody. Sabrina leaned back into the pillows, folding her arms tightly across her chest. You think I'm crazy? No, hon. I think... I think the move's been hard on you. But it's not just that. I've seen you with him. Damien, there's always been this... This distance. <sighs> He scooted towards the edge of the bed. I'm just saying, it wouldn't hurt to have someone to talk to. Get it all out, you know? Get it all out. Part of her wanted to toss the covers off, grab the pillow, and go sleep on the couch. But then she'd be closer to the basement and the spot on the kitchen wall. Just, just think about it. That's all I'm saying. Ugh. Hal got up and went into the bathroom. A beat later, the sound of running water came through the door, and Sabrina shivered, thinking about the bath that drew itself. Eventually, he came back in, lay down. She turned away, clutching her pillow tightly. After a long moment, she said, Tell me you saw the sandwich, Hal. A light snore was the only response. Sleep was a long time coming for Sabrina Haskins. Again. Damien's phone beeped. Michaela, downstairs, now. Damien threw out the covers, hurriedly changed out of his SpongeBob PJs a private childish affection he had yet to shed and would be mortified if anyone ever discovered, and donned a simple silk robe instead, dark blue with a very grown-up wooden ship emblazoned over the breast pocket. He opened his bedroom door quietly and padded down the stairs. A step creaked beneath his feet, and he nearly cursed under his breath. He hadn't fully cataloged the house's noisy spots, something he very much needed to understand if he were to succeed in his current endeavors. Michaela waited in the dining room, seated at the long, formal table the family never used, preferring the more casual round table in the kitchen instead. Her arms were crossed, hair up in a ponytail, meaning she meant business. Sit, Michaela said quietly. Damien gave her a curt nod, pulled out a chair across from her, motioned for her to speak her piece. The sandwich thing, she said without preamble. Yes? Michaela leaned across the table. It's too much, Damien. You shouldn't have done that. That was what he had been pulled out of bed for? His dinner table sleight of hand? Sabrina had reacted poorly, sure, but Damien had been quite proud of himself. A flick of the wrist and a half sandwich disappeared down his sleeve. Granted, he had garnished some nasty stains on the inside of his shirt from whatever near gruel their hippie neighbor slathered over the bread, but still... "'Worth it.'" Damien scoffed. "'If the woman can't recognize a rudimentary parlor trick for what it is, she doesn't deserve to be sane.'" Michaela rolled her eyes. "'You can see it, can't you? She's... she's not right.'" "'When has she ever been?' "'I... wait, don't answer that. I know precisely when she was last right. The day before I was born.'" You had two years of normalcy, two years of motherhood, followed by ten of something I consider close enough for government work. We should all be so lucky. Michaela drew her feet up under her, fussing with the sleeves of her hoodie. You know what I mean. Ever since we moved, she's been, I don't know, edgy. This whole thing about the house being haunted, which you believe. I do not. Please, Damien said. Admit you're open to the idea, at least. A long, long moment stretched out between them, then small, soft. Yes. Nothing to be ashamed, of, Damien said, leaning in himself now. Lots of, he almost said, children, people believe in the supernatural. It's not real, obviously, but it's it's fun, like our trip to the Halloween store earlier. Do you have to be so condescending? If you don't care for the message, disparage the delivery. If you're waiting for me to apologize, you'll be sitting in that chair until your skin shrivels to parchment. Michaela slapped the table. A loud report that echoed off the walls and made Damien fear she waked their parents. Just stop, okay? It's not about that. It's about mom. She's not well and you're making it worse. It was all fun and games until we moved into this house, but now... What? I, I don't know. Michaela slumped over the table, drawing her hoodie up over her hair, becoming a faceless shade. All I know is you need to lay off, Damien. Stop messing with mom. I won't. Then I'll tell. You wouldn't. Michaela's nails clattered across the table. I would. She drew herself up in her chair. I will. Silence hung in the air. Damien looked down at his own nails, direly in need of a trim, and considered his options. Lie to Michaela, his only confidant? Or abandon his life's project? Neither option seemed palatable. Tell them what, exactly, he finally said. Michaela blinked. What? I said, what are you going to tell them? That I've been pretending to be a demonic little imp? That I'm... Damien sighed. "'A perilously normal child, albeit an extraordinarily intelligent one? What will that accomplish? You can't disabuse Sabrina of her beliefs, and father, I've never met a more oblivious life form, let alone human, in my ten years on this planet. He sees nothing and, and knows nothing. I'd bet body parts he has no internal monologue, whatever, but it's dad.' How many times have we mocked the idiots of this world? Are you really so surprised to find your own father counted amongst their number? Michaela retreated into her hoodie. You're really awful sometimes, you know that? Damien stood abruptly. You sound just like Sabrina. You know that? The dam burst. Michaela threw her head down the dining room table, sobbing. Damien walked around the table, headed back to his beloved Spongebob pajamas in bed. He bent down and whispered in his sister's ear, Stay out of my way. Michaela made a noise that might have been bastard, or might have been nothing at all. Either way, her astronics changed nothing. Her participation in the plan had always been optional. Just like her continued existence, 916-633-1537 Wretched and Wretched at gmail.com Wretched Book Club on Twitter Wretched Book Club on Facebook You can leave a review on Spotify It takes like 13 seconds You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts, And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app You can donate to the show at patreon.com Slash single simulcast One dollar will get you a ton of content uh, you can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace.